Welcome to Spiel Chicago, the podcast exploring progressive and feminist work in Chicago theater. I'm Smyra Yan, and my guest this week is Erica Vannon, director of Gender Breakdown, opening February 16th at Collaboration. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> this will be good. Erica Vannon, thanks so much for coming over today. Thanks so much for having me. When did you come to Chicago? I came into Chicago in 2005 to start a theater company. Um, there was a friend that was already here, and there were some other people that were going to be joining us at another time. Uh, that theater company was called Blank Line Collective. What kind of work did you guys do? Movement-based experimental theater, what I continue <laughs> to do to this day. <laughs> cool. Um yeah, it was predominantly devised or really produced work. Um, we created, I think, around nine pieces before it was all said and done. I, you know, I think the first the first four or so shows of ours were completely devised. I think the one that would maybe not be so recognizable upon hearing to the public or anything, but one that was really interesting to put together was uh, called The Helpless Doorknob by Edward Gorey. It's actually a deck of cards that you can shuffle and lay out in any order, and it creates a story. He was, he was a, I guess, kind of an author, but also a, um, an illustrator. And he was uh, very influenced by ballet. So a lot, there's a lot of movement in his illustrations. And again, because of my dance background and movement background, um, we sort of approached the play in, a, in a, a very visual sense. So we set it in a clapboard house in Ravenswood um, and promenaded the audience all throughout the house and put them back out onto the porch in between. And we did this show in like three different versions so that they came in and just sort of saw it in dumb show. And then they came back through and they saw it with just like a, a few sentences, a highlight of the story. And then the third time through, they got a full play. Cool. Yeah, we, it was around Halloween. This was probably... 2008 it's been a while <laughs> yeah so that was sort of an example of the, the shows that we did and then we later we did um some more rarely produced work like um disgrace by john o'keefe uh we did a, a, a eugene ionesco that doesn't get done very often it's one of his more unproducible plays it's called the new tenant which is about someone moving into an apartment but they are sort of it's almost like they're they're closing themselves in, in in a coffin, like as they just surround themselves with stuff. So we did a lot you, of weird shit. Are you drawn to that kind of stuff, the absurdist and just the weird shit? I like to think I can sort of map what my interests have been. Uh, it's hard to capture in a sentence, but in general, I am, am very drawn to work that makes you sort of like giggle into a bit of horror. <laughs> I like that. That's very evocative. <laughs> Don't you feel that the absurd in theater and in art is beginning is going to become so much more relevant in the next four years? Oh, absolutely. There was an article recently that came out about um, the play Rhinoceros mm -hmm. by Ionesco, which absolutely could be done, and the parallels drawn to it at this very a huge moment. Huge resurgence. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's very fascinating to think about how those like cycles of um, theater history sort of pop up again and are, are way more relevant.
thanks you very much. <laughs> I first found out about because um, Eileen Tall is a friend. Uh-huh. And she's one of the gazillion, like, wonderful women in this. Um, anyone 47. Can... 47. <laughs> 47 women in this, like, very short dance performance sketch thing that, like, caveat, I cry a lot. But, like, I straight up cry every time I watch it. Like, you can watch it on YouTube. And it's so wonderful. And it's so good. So I just have a lot of questions about that. Sure. What are the origins of this? So is it, it seems like it was a devised piece. Well, it seems like it was a devised piece, and I think the Spanksy Very Much that you ended up seeing absolutely was, but the sort of seed that started Spanksy Very Much was um, there is a festival that comes into town every year called the One Minute Play Festival. It's run by Dominic D'Andrea out of New York, and it's national, and it happens, and he takes it to cities all across the nation. And um, the cool thing that he does is he sort of takes – the, he allows the community of the city that he's in to build the story, choose all the playwrights, choose all the directors who in the community. And, and he has a ton of connections, so he knows a lot of people. So he knew Danny and I, Danny Bryant, who who wrote Spanksy Very Much. And she actually created Spanksy Very Much as a one-minute play. Mm. And it was not in the format that it is right now at all, but just the idea of walking on stage and sort of wrestling into a garment, seeing yourself wrestling out of said garment and being like fuck it right and so that was the play as it existed just sort of one or I think she had three characters walk on and kind of do that it was a small number and and something that's recognizable in everyone or every woman for sure or not even woman anyone who decides to wear Spanx for whatever reason they wear Spanx um we'd work with collaboration over the years in a couple of different ways in um with a project that we did called the last meal man i saw that yeah which was a really cool sort of like social practice and social justice project that we took on together it was one of the first ones we did we thought oh well we know sketchbook is kind of about spectacle we also recognize that they need things to bring in big audiences and i said well, why don't we go back to Spanks You Very Much and we just sort of explode it? How impacting and powerful would it be to see like a hundred women struggling to put on and take off Spanx? You know, and then it just sort of expanded from there. We asked Sheena Laird to join us um, on the project because she's an incredible choreographer in town. And let's take your play, Danny, and let's exp- and so it's like it's like Danny had the seed of the idea. I exploded it to include as many people as possible, and then we brought Sheena in for the actual choreography. So the the director thing is a little bit misleading because I feel like I sort of helped explode this thing and have this vision for it. And then I definitely sort of directed Lindsay Charles, who was the the lead mm-hmm. um, in Spanx You Very Much, that we sort of followed her through this, like, you know, LSD yeah. or, like – crazy dream or nightmare-esque sort of you should wear Spanx you shouldn't wear Spanx and 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 we were supposed to kind of identify with her but Sheena did all the choreography for it all of the dance um along with some co-choreographers that we brought in to speak to the pieces that we as three white women didn't feel like we could speak to so um Jasmine Leapheart, Mia Vivens, and Avi Roquet come in and sort of create small pieces. You know, we said you have a timestamp from 135 to 225 to create a piece about your experience as a black woman 
and how you and your culture view or uses Spanx or as a non-binary, um, genderqueer, non-feminine presenting um, person and, and your experience with Spanx. And everyone was super excited to come in and super excited to like take their little time stamped pieces. And then we just sort of arranged it. So I, I mean, of course I continue to like say director of Spanx, but it was not, this was not one vision mm -hmm. by any means. So it wasn't devised from the beginning. It was like an idea that Danny Bryant very strongly had that we just exploded. Gender Breakdown. Gender Breakdown is a new play somewhat commissioned by Collaboration, uh, written by, or what is she calling herself? Head divisor. She likes to use the term creator. It's very Danny Bryant of her. <laughs> um, so head creator of Gender Breakdown, Danny Bryant. She's sort of arranging the stories of the cast. It's an all-female identified cast, and it's a show that is exploring gender parity in Chicago theater. The truth about Gender Breakdown is we're still making it right now. First, we cast because we realized that we had a ton of ideas about what we wanted to say about Chicago theater, both what's working and what's not working based on quite a few conversations that we'd had after Spanx You Very Much with our 47 large cast and group of directors from the One Minute Play Festival that came through Chicago this year that was all female identified. Oh, that's right. I'd forgotten that. Mm -hmm. So Danny and I met and did a workshop with them. And the top the topics were literally what's working, what's not working, what can we do? We had a, a lot of source material to sort of work with since we'd worked with women for so long over these last few years with Knife and Fork. And we um, thought about the conversations from the One Minute Play Festival. We thought about all of the the dancers and performers that we used for Spanxy very much. We continued to have sort of these social practice dinners that at one time we called on the tables. And we decided to have a few more of those. And these are community conversations with dinner around specific topics that Danny facilitates and sort of encourages the group to uh, expand on a topic. And then, of course, in Seattle, that production of That's What She Said mm -hmm. that happened that was a huge inspiration. Like, let's just look at the data of the plays that exist, the most produced plays, and just take the text from those plays and look what it says about women. And that's all they did for That's What She Said. And then, of course, almost got a cease and desist from, I think, Samuel French. We were so inspired by that happening. And we thought, well, how can we bring that to our community? Not in a way to sort of point fingers and shout out particular people that are doing anything wrong or not doing enough of. But gender parity, that conversation in theater right now is so huge across the nation. Chicago is often lumped into the category of doing much better than any of the other cities. But then if you actually look at the numbers, much better is still actually very sad. All of those factors, it was no one sort of like thing that made us go, let's make this play. It was sort of all these factors coalescing into this, this 
project, we realized that we were going to need the voices of the cast to help us create the story. So we went ahead and did a call and there were a few people that we were interested in in already knowing that we wanted to be a part of the project. But for the most part, we did an audition and sort of found new people and new voices so that we could have a more diverse, even though the word is very tired, um, intersectional cast that had more stories to tell. So we did that. We had to do quite a few calls. We couldn't we couldn't just do the one because we weren't getting all the voices that we were excited about including. Um, but more importantly, we also needed more talent that could not only be killer actors, but could also play themselves on stage. And that is a very different skill set. And we saw some real talent come through. Um, and it was really all about who had stories to tell, who felt comfortable sharing those stories, and if they could sort of believably play themselves on stage, which sounds like it would be an easy thing to do, but it's really not. Mm. And so we cast with a lot of those sort of layers in mind, but then also wanting to not just to do a big cast full of white feminism. I think we succeeded. We have 11 actresses. Um, the 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 identities and race and belief systems and uh, sexual orientation of our entire cast is truly intersectional and all over the board. We then realized from those 11 that we cast, we needed to do some workshops. So Danny and I worked over the course of, I think like a month, we had two months, we had like four or five different rehearsals. And what we did is we built um, like stations in which we could gather stories. So they would come into rehearsal, we would do some ensemble building stuff, but then otherwise we would have written prompts sort of posted all around the room. And in one of those would be like an iPad where they could video themselves. And then another would be a phone where they could audio record. And then, in, yeah. And then somewhere they could just journal and respond to a prompt and somewhere they had to journal, but then turn it into a performance. So we were trying to, you know, because even if all these actors sort of fit the criteria of being really excellent actors with wonderful stories that they felt comfortable sharing and also seemingly comfortable in the audition playing themselves on stage they're not all writers some of them are performers that's how they get their voices out there some of them are really need other people's words and don't have a lot of stories to tell outside of rambling it to Danny and have her sort of shape it into mm -hmm. something and so we wanted to honor the fact that not everyone was going to be able to write something for us so um that happened for a few weeks Danny moved to Philadelphia. She's going to grad school mm -hmm. and writing a play all at the same time. Life changes, no big deal. And she wrote the first draft and we read the first draft about a month and a half ago. We just had a reading this past Tuesday and the draft is completely different and really exciting. And I don't know how much to share at this point. It does a really good job of gathering all of the actor stories and their experiences in auditioning, rehearsing, performing, and sort of touching on all those different parts of their lives. The play is a, a specific story about theater in Chicago. And so how do we not alienate our audiences? 
But the truth is, as, as it exists, and I mean, we're, we're very in it right now, so it's hard to tell. The way that Danny has sort of shaped these stories, like something that you would think, I haven't been an actor in that situation, but I've been a person in that situation. So the hope is, despite our sort of analysis of what's happening in Chicago, specifically through the lens of theater, that it will have the opportunity for people to go, that's familiar to me. someone had a comment about this um after hearing the reading was you know the play is called gender breakdown but there seemed to be a lot of talk about racism and there is we have a, an, incre an incredibly diverse cast because the truth is that you can't have a conversation about gender uh specifically you can't have a conversation about women without all of the other things that sort of affect it, mm -hmm. right? You can't, you can't have a conversation without racism coming in. You can't have a conversation without um, uh, uh, how you identify, like your sexual orientation or your sexual identification kind of coming in. Because yes, it, it absolutely affects who you are as a, as a woman or woman-identified performer, but so do all of those other things. The stuff that I go and see for inspiration is often dance, really. Uh, Columbia College Chicago, their dance center. Jonathan Meyer, and it's his partner, Julian. I don't know how to say her last name. I'm useless. Um, they just created this incredible performance out at Indian Boundary Park that was called The Retreat. And it was a performance that you could choose to go to for an hour and a half for four hours or stay overnight. And it's this style of dance and working that they have created over the last several years, a decade, I think, that sort of gets into this like liminal dream space where they are, the body is taking over rather than the mind, but they're dancing for you the entire time. That sounds wild. It was, it was amazing. And honestly, it was, it was two days after the, a dumpster fire that was our election and to go and experience the show and my husband and I stayed for the four hour we didn't get to, we they, they sold out for tickets for the overnight it was so wonderful to be in this like warm and cozy safe space where I was truly in a fog like I had been the day after the election but where I felt really vulnerable and unsafe just sort of reiterated how important art will continue to be over the next four years. I love those things. I love theater that's just sort of experiential and you don't have to leave like with like thinking about ideas. It's just sort of like evocative and communal. And I yeah. think that has a lot of value. Yeah. And it's sometimes very hard to sell because people, it's hard mm -hmm. to explain what that is. Yeah. And people are like, I'm going to leave my house and do what? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I could talk about Jonathan Meyer all day, although I can't seem to know how to pronounce his, his dance company. The thing that I think he and his partner Julia do so well is that they, they're creating on a small scale. They're not creating 
things to be big for big sake. They're instead concerned about creating the most beautiful right thing they can for the moment. And if that means that it limits the audience to include five people or it can include 40, they're going to create the show to serve what's best for the right size audience. And they're going to think about what serves the show and serves the audience. And I have a, an immense respect for that because I feel like in our culture, we think all of the time about what's bigger, what's more, what will sell. It's like a fundamentally capitalist mindset, right? Absolutely. Like yeah. Being okay with creating small is so important. I mean, I say that after creating a, a piece that had 47 women in it. So I understand that sounds sort of. But that's exactly <laughs> what that piece needed. Like it having a, a gazillion women in it was like essential to that piece and what yeah. it did for its audience. It's exactly the same thing. It's yeah. like, what is going to serve this piece? Is yeah. it having two people and a tiny bear set or, you know, 47 women and right. like 800 sets of underwear? You know, the even some shows that I've done where we've had a cap of very early on 25 audience members. There was one show where we brought in 28 and the show didn't work that night. I mean, mm. it was fine, but it was fine. I don't want to create fine theater. Like if I'm putting in all of this time and effort, I need it to be great. Erica Bannon, thank you so much for being with me today. This was really fun. This was really fun. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You can catch Erica's next project, Gender Breakdown, starting February 16th at Collaboration. We'll have links to that in the show page along with the YouTube video for Spanx You Very Much. My podcast recommendation this week is another Chicago local. I recently discovered Second Story, a storytelling collective that has unique events all over the city of Chicago, and they've got a podcast. I subscribed after just listening to the first episode, and I'm already looking forward to a live event. That's Second Story on iTunes. And my last plug for this episode is Chicago Theater Week. You can get 30 or 15 or even cheaper tickets to plays, musicals, operas, you name it, between February 9th and 19th with the code THWEEK, all one word. Uh, no one is paying me to say this. I am just obsessed with Chicago Theater Week. I think it's the coolest thing that happens all year. So I will have links to more info on the website, but please do yourself a favor. Go online. You can even Google it. Chicago Theater Week. That's all for now. As always, you can email me at spielchicago, that's S-P-I-E-L Chicago at gmail.com, or tweet at spielchicago on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you at the theater. <laughs>